From WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Unleashed is our monthly show that gives you the chance to talk about your pets and hear about current issues surrounding animals in New York State and our region. We have a packed show for you this hour, including some news out of Albany, where lobbyists are pushing for legislation that would make it a crime to harm pets while committing another crime, like a home invasion. And we'll have a live interview with a local dog owner who participated in the Westminster Kennel Club show. She'll join us later in the hour. But first, Dr. Edward Geschrei is here from Southtown Veterinary Hospital in studio with us. You can ask a question about your pet's health or behavior by calling us at 844-295-TALK. 844-295-8255. In Rochester, you can call 263-WXXI, 263-9994. Or you can tweet your question to the hashtag Unleashed or to our producer, Megan Mack. She's on Twitter at mmackmedia. We're also on Facebook Live. Hello, Facebook Live. How's it going over there? I'm going to have to try to remember that you're there, so hello. And Dr. Gishrai, it's great to have you. Thanks for taking the time to be in studio with us. Thank you, Evan. Uh, you have been, we were just talking about how long you've been at Southtown Veterinary Hospital. You've been working at Southtown for how long? About 26 years. So a little while. Yes, and, and I've been out of school 30 years. So. Okay, so yeah. most of your career there. Yes. And yep. Southtown is a place where you, uh, it's not just a dogs and cats pet animal hospital. No, we also see exotics. A lot of the small mammals, ferrets, guinea pigs, rabbits. Uh, and I do also see a limited number of reptiles and birds also. You mentioned before the show began, you uh, even occasionally a tree frog? Yes, yeah, we've had a couple tree frogs that come in. Amphibians are challenging because there's just not much about them in the literature. They're not a species that's I was, kept That's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. I, because um, I recall recently at the Rochester Museum and Science Center taking my little guy to go see all the different frogs at a frog exhibit. I mean, there are an unbelievable number of frogs out there. Yep. How much do you have to learn individually when you're dealing with that? You know, we're fortunate in that, you know, with the involving of the internet and things like that, I can actually consult with people who know a lot more about them than I do because uh, it is difficult to know every species. But we actually, I worked through a a company, there's a place called Veterinary Information Network online, and I can actually consult with people that see mostly amphibians and things like that, which is great. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, listeners, this is the one time of the month that I will always implore you to call early. If you want to get some answers on your pet's health or behavior, don't wait till later in the hour. It's one of those hours that goes quickly. A lot of people will wait to call. Call now so you can get that out of the way and get your question on the air, 844 844- 295 talk. What is keeping you busiest right now this time of year? I think at this point, uh, we actually are seeing a lot more parasites during the winter. We're seeing a lot of ticks and things. Uh, also, we see a lot of uh, irritations of feet and everything because of salt, rock salt and everything. But this time of year, it's a little less of the allergies and things and a lot more of catching up on many of the routine um, vaccines, mm-hmm. testing, things like that. So it's for us, it's a little bit of a backup. And in addition, um, in February, February is Pet Dental Health Month, so we always have a special, and in February and March, we actually do many, many dentals. I'm, I'm actually glad you bring this up, because this is a chance for me selfishly to ask a question about sure. one of my animals. Um, I have two cats, and, and they had their teeth cleaned, I want to probably say a couple of years ago mm-hmm. now, and, and waited too long. I mean, mm-hmm. you could see the before and after. I think everybody who's a pet owner, you see the, the bill for a dental procedure, and you think that's a lot of money. Yep. But then when you see the before and after, it, it was no question for me that it was you know, probably something that was causing great discomfort. Well, now, a cat who's turning 15 this year, she, uh, she was drooling recently. And mm-hmm. I'm told that's not normal. That could be caused by some dental distress. I'm thinking about the dental thing again. First of all, on drool, 
yep. for a cat, what would you start to do to try to figure out why? With drooling, first thing I do is I'd look in the mouth to see what's going on because you spec bad teeth. Unfortunately, older cats can sometimes get tumors in the mouth. They're not that unusual. Uh, in addition, sometimes if they have something that tastes bad, but that's not going to be a repeated drooling episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first thing, if you have your cat is drooling one time, I'd say he got something that tastes bad in the mouth. But if you're seeing repeated drooling, especially associated with not eating well, I would certainly look in the mouth first. Do they... It's interesting. She was drooling when she was happy the other day. <laughs> you know, so does that happen? Yes. There are some cats, especially cats, it seems to me, that were taken from their moms fairly early on hmm. that they'll tend to need on you and drool. And there are cats that will drool when they are happy. Yes. Okay. So that, not always a sign of distress, but no. something to maybe get checked or bring up? Absolutely. Okay. And just for those who might be the skeptics on dental procedures, again, for, for dogs and cats, what would you tell people? I would tell people that there's probably nothing more important that you do for your animals in taking care of their teeth because a lot of the pets that we breed, unfortunately, we breed for looks, not necessarily their best dental health. So you get these short-nosed dogs and the cats who don't like to chew things. They're carnivores. They're not made to eat dry food. So what happens is, is that we start to get a lot of dental pain and it's one of the most important things and probably one of the best things you could do is getting out the bad teeth because everybody's had one bad tooth. Imagine having five bad teeth. Mm. So, and like you said, many times if you don't start it early on, that's when you get into the really big bills. I mean, dentals cost more because they're under general anesthesia. You and I are in general anesthesia. So they're going to naturally be more. But when they really get expensive is when we have to take out 10 teeth, okay? And so sometimes it's better to get earlier dental care. And I think the profession's moving towards that too to start doing, okay, let's start doing these guys when they're three, not when they're 10. Do, do they do, when they're three, do they still need general anesthesia? Yes. Unfortunately, there's no way that you can go, and you and I, we scale off the teeth and then we go ahead and we polish. And the animals are not going to let you to the inside of the teeth and do a cleaning like, you know, the positions you have to assume when you're at your dentist. Yes. So unfortunately, they are going to need general anesthesia. All right. You mentioned ticks as well. You're seeing mm-hmm. a good number of that. Uh, just on the subject of ticks, two things. Anything preventative that we should do? And then if you do notice your pet has one, what's the procedure? A couple of different things. Uh, First off, ticks are really not a seasonal thing around here anymore. We just don't have hard enough winters where the snow's on the ground. Ticks don't die in the winter. Isn't that so strange to say that, by the way? Very strange. Yeah. Ticks don't die in the winter. They hibernate. So when the snow's off the ground, they're out there. We had a ton of ticks in December uh, because we never really got solid snow. And yes, prevention is definitely better than having it. So if your dog is outside in the parks, in the woods, especially around where deer would be, you want to have your dog on a tick preventative. And there are many, many different options, both over the counter and that you get through your veterinarian. There are collars that work very well now, not like the old flea collars that did nothing. There are topical medications. There are even oral medications. There's one pill out there that lasts for three months at a time. Okay. So. Uh, and, and I think have talked to, to friends who have noticed you know, a lump or a hard lump, and they're always wondering if that's a tick. You know, should I dig it out myself? What should I do? You know, most people will bring them in for us to pull them out. But if you do want to and you'll laugh, there is a little thing uh, called a tick twister. And it's a little piece of plastic. When I first saw it, I just laughed. I said, this isn't going to work. But you actually put it underneath the body of the tick, so between the mouth and the skin. And then you twist it. And it does usually a really nice job of taking them out. Okay. And you can get those at, oh, geez, probably at... um, Country Max, any place like that. A tick twister. Yeah, tick twister. Yeah, it looks like this little cheap piece of plastic. It works really well. <laughs> All right, let me grab some listener questions that have come in online. Alyssa in East Rochester says, what is so beneficial about giving dogs raw goat's milk? 
Um, there's nothing special. You know, it's funny how certain things get this magic technique in a while. I think goat's milk is a good substitute if you don't have mother's milk for puppies, but I don't think there's anything too dramatic about it. Now, certainly goat's milk has good nutrition in it, but I don't think there's anything magical about it. Okay. So interesting. Uh, Allison in Rochester, how do I get my dogs to stop their out of control excitement over breakfast and dinner, running in circles, barking, losing their minds? It's like Christmas morning every day, twice a day. I've tried a few things, but it's like food overruns logic. Yeah, and I think that's a lot. I mean, food is one of the big drives in most dogs' lives, especially with certain breeds. Uh, but what happens is is that you need to try to teach them a new response. So what they need to do is they need to have them sit and stay and then make them sit there for a certain period of time before they give the food. If they are too wild, you pick up the food. Now, of course, you're going to have to be there for a while to do this. So they don't get the food unless they calm down. Okay, You might be there for days, doctor. Exactly. It could be. could be. And it, it's hard because they're so exuberant about it. But most times when we're doing training, they talk about two things. One is desensitization. The other is counter conditioning. Now, in this case, desensitization is, you know, the dog barks when somebody comes to the door. Well, you keep knocking on the door to try and remove. Counter conditioning means you can't remove the stimulus, which is the food. You try to teach them a new response. And most times that's going to be okay. You have to sit and stay and be calm before I ever put your food down. Allison, good luck on that. Marianne in North Belmore, New York says, should I give my dog glucosamine and chondroitin for joint health? I'm a big fan of glucosamine and chondroitin. Uh, in people, there's really not that much solid data. And when you speak to the orthopedists, they'll be some people are very on and off. I'm a very strong believer. I think it does very nicely. And I think if you have a large dog, by the time they hit eight or nine, given the odds of them having arthritis, it's not a bad idea. And it's always the first thing I recommend when I have an older dog who's starting to have trouble getting up, can't walk as long, things like that. But be very careful and talk to your vet about what product to use because, unfortunately, these products are nutraceuticals, not drugs, so they're not under FDA control. Same thing when you buy vitamins for yourself. Make sure you trust the manufacturer. Hmm, okay. Uh, Michelle and Henrietta has a new puppy. She says, quote, for the love of God, how long does potty training take? Depends on the dog. Uh, in general, not to categorize, but little dogs take longer than big dogs. And it also depends a lot on how much time you have. The biggest things I inform people with housebreaking are get them out as often as you can. You can actually teach them command to go. So let them out, and when they start to urinate, say, go potty, whatever you want. In addition, don't be afraid to use a crate because that teaches them to hold. And you also have to teach them to show you. So that dog, when you first start, is either in a crate or a K-pen or with you. You can't let them wander around the house until you can trust them. And then you want to reward them for going to the door and telling you. So if you see they're doing the little dance, run to the door, oh, what a good puppy, and then also reward them for going outside. But it can take months in some of these dogs. All right, so if if Michelle is listening, yep. uh, Michelle, thanks for the question. Is there a, a period of time in which she should start to worry that something is wrong, that, that this is just not happening? I would say that if you're seeing a dog actually leak urine, so they're laying down and it's actually leaking out, definitely want to check. If it's something where you're seeing any discoloration blood in the urine, check for an infection. But other than that, I'd say after, after three to four months, you're not seeing at least improvement. Not that we don't have the occasional accident. I'd be talking to your veterinarian. Okay. Three to four months then. So yep. whew, good luck there. Let me grab Ingrid in Penfield. Go ahead, Ingrid, on the phone. Go ahead. Hi, Evan. How are you? I'm good. good. This isn't about politics for once. Well, you know, we, need, uh, we all need a break. We all need a break sometimes, <laughs> Ingrid. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I wanted to just uh, say thanks to Dr. Gishraj for being there and for such wonderful things about him and just add a little bit about the uh, the dogs who go crazy when it's mealtime. Yeah. Um, that, would, that, that would fall under the heading of impulse control for that mm-hmm. owner, and you can find a lot about it on the Internet. There are games. If you start right off with mealtime, uh, you may not have success because you're starting at too high an intensity for the dog, so you want to work up to it. And for the new puppy owner, I just wanted to throw out a resource that you guys could vet and see what you think. It's a book called Life Skills for Puppies by Helen Zulch, Z-U-L-C-H, and Daniel Mills. It's really great for uh, potty training and all other kinds of things that puppies need to learn. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ingrid. Life Skills for Puppy. You heard of it? No, I haven't heard of the book, but I'll tell you a couple things that she brought up. Number one is I'm a big fan of making sure training is not just when the incident is happening. You have an aggressive dog. You don't be fighting when they're trying to bite. You want to get at the initial when they're challenging you. The second thing is, is that a talk show like this is certainly not going to provide you a great answer to behavior. Behavior is uh, is never the same for each two individuals. Yeah. It's like saying, how do you raise a child? It, it's so... Yeah, you try things. If they work, then you try other things. So I think having resources like that are very beneficial. Sure, and I, I think what we're what we're aiming for here is just some general ideas, oh, obviously. And, and and Libby uh, has a behavior question. So again, generally speaking, she says, "I would like my puppy to stop biting my children." Okay. Libby, you're not around there, and, and and puppies can have sharp little teeth, and mm-hmm. and they may think that they're being playful. So again, she's looking for a general idea on how to discourage that kind of behavior. Uh, I do two things. Uh, number one is b- realize that the puppy is not being aggressive; it's trying to play, and this is the way they play with other puppies. So two things I find work very well. Number one is you can get something to taste bad and put it on whether it's their shoes, their hands. They have things like bitter orange and bitter apple, so that way the puppy gets a direct negative. But I think the thing that works better is you need to take away the reward if you find with these puppies if you yell at them they'll sometimes actually come at you harder and think you're playing they drop down wag their tail so what you want to do is i am a big fan of the bad dog room okay now this is not your crate the crate is a good area that's a safe area calm area you take a bathroom or something and puppy proof it so you give the dog you you tell the dog to stop if it doesn't stop it's getting more excited you take it you put it in the bad dog room for five minutes okay? not the crate not the crate no okay. that's a good area then let them out. They start it again, you put them in. Because what you're doing is you're removing the reward. And the way I always explain it to people is you've probably seen those three-year-olds in the, in the grocery cart at the end. They want the candy and they're screaming and yelling. They are more than intelligent enough to know they're going to get in trouble. But they're taking away their attention. So they're the center of attention. Mommy and daddy can't shop anymore. Puppies do the same thing. If you are going ahead and giving them attention, whether it's positive or negative, that's what they want. Hmm. Okay, a bad dog room, like a yep. bathroom. So yep. good luck, Libby. Uh, Dr. Edward Geschrei from Southtown Veterinary Hospital is in the studio with me today. Taking new clients, by the way? Yes, we are. So how to find you, by the way? Uh, we're on uh, West Henry Road, south of Marketplace Mall, and the phone number is 334-1550. And we're going to take uh, our first short break. When we come back, we'll answer more of your questions about pet health. You can call the program toll-free at 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255 or 263-WX. If you're calling from Rochester, 263-9994. We're also going to hear how one family is hoping the senseless killing of their dogs will inspire lawmakers to push for animal justice reform. That is coming up next on Unleashed. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from All Cats Care Center, a full-service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. 
This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR-FM and HD Rochester, WEOS-FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI-FM HD2 Rochester. Rorschach's famous ink blots. A lot of people do dismiss them. But writer Damien Searle says those dismissals are out of date. The Rorschach test works. The real test is not that if you see a bouncing bunny, you're the good twin, and if you see an axe murderer, you're the bad twin. I'm Robert Siegel. Herman Rorschach's symmetrical blobs and where they came from this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. That'll be 4 o'clock this afternoon on your NPR News station. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. We are taking your questions about pet health and behavior this hour with Dr. Edward Geschrei from Southtown Veterinary Hospital in Henrietta. And you can join us by calling 844-295-TALK. It's 844-295-8255. You can also tweet a question or comment to the hashtag Unleashed on Twitter. Or you can tweet at our producer, Megan Mack. She's following the feed there at Media. We've answered a number of your questions. And... Uh, in a minute, we're going to give just a little bit of a disclaimer about what's coming next because what we try to mix it, mix is a combination of, of your calls and, and kind of modern current events along with news. But before we do that, let me just grab one more listener question, and that's from Carol in Rochester on the phone. Go ahead, Carol. Hi. Um, I've got a three-legged cat. She was born that way. And I'm just wondering, she'll be four this fall. If she should be on um, the glucosamine cridoidin, because I worry about her hips, because when she does, I mean, she gets along just fine. But her back leg, it's the back leg that's missing. And then her other back leg, she keeps it more centered in her body to mm-hmm. keep her balance. Right. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I'll tell you, I, I've been a lot less impressed with glucosamine and chondroitin in cats than I have in dogs. Uh, I'm particularly mm-hmm. fond of, there's an injectable form of it, which works well, called Adequan. Um, and in addition, we're using more non-steroidals. We used to be really f- afraid of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in cats because of kidney function. We're finding with studies that they actually tolerate it well. So I guess my answer is it would not hurt at all to give it. Um, the way that she's walking with that leg underneath is just a balance issue. So, yes, you're putting more stress right. on the You're going to put more stress on the hip. So it certainly wouldn't hurt at all. Is it going to help? Yeah. I'm not quite as sure with cats as dogs. Okay. Well, I'm trying to keep her weight down also because I know she gets heavy. That's going to be a huge factor also. Oh, yeah. And and I'll tell you, in dogs and cats both, uh, a lot of times when somebody comes in and says, what can I do for arthritis? The first thing is, okay, lose 15 pounds. Of course, I could do that too. Yeah. Well, she's at a good weight right now. But I just worry about later on when she gets to be like, 10 and 12, that sort of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Even without her problem, um, 80 to 90% of cats at um, at 9 to 10 years old actually have arthritis you can show on an x-ray. So it's hmm. important. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Carol, thanks. I want, to remind, uh, I want to remind our listeners that we are also on Facebook Live. Hello, Facebook Live. Unleashed Pet Show on Facebook. And uh, one more question from Facebook that comes from Deb. And that's uh, Deb wants to know, how do I get my cat to stop eating my woodwork? <laughs> you know, probably your best bet with that is, obviously, if you can't keep out of that area, number one is to try and find toys and things, even if it involves catnips, to give right before you leave the house, because you're not going to do it in front of you. And second of all, things that taste bad. Now, I will inform you 
that if you try to use something that tastes bad in a cat, you may come home and look like your cat is rabid where there's drool because when they get something bad, it tastes. But if that happens once or twice, they're probably going to stay away from whatever did that. Did, did you say that they'll wait for you to leave before acting? A lot of times they do. I mean, It's, it's like they know that, that what they're doing is wrong, but they're going to oh. do it? Well, because usually the owner has yelled at them, like, stop that, stop that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's funny. We'll have dogs that will come in. The owner will I can see the dog's been chewing on itself. And you say, has the dog been licking a lot or chewing? The owner will say no. And I call those guys closet lickers because what they're doing is the owner yells at them, they go in another room and they do it. I there. got news for so, you. They're yeah. finding a way there. Exactly. All right. I want to I tell you about our next story here that comes with a disclaimer. The tragic death of two dogs in upstate New York has renewed the push for legislation that would make it a crime to harm a companion animal during the commission of another crime. Our Beth Adams spoke to a woman who has channeled the grief from her heartbreaking loss into a lobbying effort at the state capitol. And we do want you to be aware that this story contains some graphic descriptions. It might be upsetting to some listeners, unsuitable for children. So if you'd like to turn down your radio for this segment, you can rejoin us in about eight minutes. When we first contacted Denise Crone, I wasn't sure she would want or even be able to tell this story. But she said she needed to talk about what happened to her dogs because talking about it helps her. First, you should know a little bit about them. Denise and her family live in a rural area of Montgomery County that's about 25 miles west of Albany. The retired school teacher has always been surrounded by animals, goats, donkeys, horses, and more recently, two big golden doodles. Herbie, my son's dog, um, he was only two years old, so he was still a puppy, and he was just full of it. He just loved everybody, and Quigley was more of like an old man. He was very, very loving and very, like, uh, had that look on his face. Like, he was always, almost, it was freaky out sometimes because he almost was like human. The reason Kirby and Quigley now have their names on a piece of pending legislation in New York State is because of what happened one year ago tonight on February 17th, 2016. It was a Wednesday evening. My husband was up in Vermont, and so he wasn't home, and I was home um, alone with my oldest son, Jake. So... 6.30 at night, my son and I walked out of our house together. But the thing that I, you know, will always stick in my mind, my two dogs sat there and wanted to go with me, which I normally take them everywhere. And I'm like, you know what, it's cold, guys. I'm only going out for an hour. You know, I'll be right back, I promise. You know, and you look at them and they're looking at you and I'm like, I'll be right back. And as I was heading home, I pulled up into my driveway and, you know, and I I walked into my house and and that's when it hit me like immediately, my, my one dog, Kirby. He was lying in the in the kitchen floor. And so, you know, it kind of catches you off guard because he was lying there looking very peaceful, of course. But then all of a sudden it hit me that he was just surrounded in a pool of blood. And I, I just screamed. I threw my cell phone, so I didn't have my phone on me. It scared me so. And I just was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, I, I couldn't figure out what happened at first. I thought, did he have an accident? But then as I turned into my kitchen... I just saw that my house had been just trash. You know, every every cupboard was open. There was stuff everywhere. And then my my other dog, Quigley, that was the golden, he was the um, cream-colored dog, I'm, like, yelling for him because I'm like, well, where's Quigley? And that's when it really hit me that it was, an, and it was an intentional thing that my house had been ransacked, and then I found Quigley in the living room. I couldn't see in the living room because it was dark, but I realized, now I looked, and the television was gone, and I could just see Quigley. But then I grabbed our house phone, and I tried to call the police. I was like, I'm going to call, you know, 911, and it was dead. I thought immediately, oh, my gosh, it's a home invasion, and they're in the house, and they cut the phone. 
I just panicked, and I knew I had to get out of the house because I kept thinking they were in there and they were going to kill me. So, I mean, it was it was a horrific scene. The amount of blood, I can't even tell you, was just everywhere it's because my dogs were big, oh. and they must have run. You know, I, I tried to find my cell phone then because I realized I threw it. So I finally find it, and as I did, I'm, I'm by Kirby at the back door, and he was still alive. I realized he was still breathing, and I'm, like, crying. I'm saying, oh, Kirby, oh, my God. I go, I can't I can't help you. i got to get out of here. I go, oh, my God. You know, I was just, like, I was apologizing to him, and then I'm realizing I just had to get out of the house. Whoever did kill Kirby and Quigley and ransacked Denise's house was already gone. In fact, police have yet to make an arrest in the case. The evidence left some clues about what happened that night, though. For instance, investigators don't think the dogs were shot because they attacked the intruders. If people came to the door, they would run to the door and bark, but they're golden doodles, and so it'd be like, you know, you got to come play with me type of a bark. But they're big dogs, so if you didn't know them, you could be scared. So my, after, right after, that's what I first saw. Oh, my gosh, the dogs came to the door, and they shot and killed them. And um, that was my first reaction. But afterwards, the um, sheriffs, after they did their investigation, they explained to me, they're like, that's not what happened, you know. And I'm like, well, what happened? They go, this this was mean. This was vindictive. They go, think about what you didn't see with the amount of blood that was there, not one footprint and not one fingerprint. They stole everything. They go, your dogs probably were right alongside of them wanting to play. And when they left, they turned and shot them. I never slept. I was crying all night long. I was just devastated. And the second thing the police said to me, and it, I'll never forget it, because I kept apologizing to them, saying, oh, my God, it's, I know that they're just my dogs, you know, they're my pets, but they're like, stop right there. We do not take this as it's just your pets. They go, we're looking at this as a murder. This is a murder to us, and these animals are your companion pets. They're part of your family, and we take it that serious. We all have dogs. We all work with canine dogs. They go, this is, you know, we're looking at it as if this is a murder. So, I mean, it made me feel, okay, so I'm not crazy, like I'm not like this raving lunatic that yet these, they understand my love of these dogs. Then they were like, and the other thing, they, they warned me right off the bat because they know the law. They go, we're going to let you know right now that if and when we catch th- these people, you know that they're not going to ever get punished for killing your dogs. The, the way the law system is, they'll be charged for the burglary, but your dogs are secondary. That's not what... That's not what they'll be charged with. But that will change if State Senator Jim Tedisco is successful in his attempt to pass legislation that he's been pushing for the past five years. The measure would make it a felony punishable by up to two years in prison and a $5,000 fine to harm or kill a companion animal during the commission of another crime. Tedisco says anyone who would assassinate two beautiful loving dogs in cold blood is a threat to others and should face justice. The Republican was moved by Kirby and Quigley's story, and he has now named this legislation Kirby and Quigley's Law. Denise said the senator asked for permission to do that shortly after the break-in. It was like one of those moments in your life where you go, I know what I have to do now. I can't dwell on searching and, you know, trying to figure out who did this. I'll leave that to the sheriffs. I'll support this not knowing where it was going to take me, really. And where has it taken you? What have you done to try to get people to support this? Well, that, you know, I tell people, at first I'd be, you know, I, I was interviewed, I'm like, well, I'm not an animal advocate. And then I'm realizing I am an animal advocate. And, you know, I go, and then in a way, you know, I guess what I've been doing is going down to Albany and lobbying to get this bill passed. And, you know, so I guess some people would call me a lobbyist, but I'm like, it's not 
you know, because of the good for what it's doing. It's, you know, there's no monetary gain, and it's for the right thing. You know, it's just trying to get people to understand to do the right thing, I guess. Kirby and Quigley's law has passed each of the past five years in the New York State Senate, most recently last month, but it's been held up in the Assembly Codes Committee. Denise believes that's because some lawmakers think a felony charge is too harsh for someone who hurts or kills an animal. What I found out is there's some people that believe that your monetary worth is worth more than your pet, that the pennies on your shelf are more valuable than your pets. The proposed law reportedly has bipartisan support this year. Senator Tedisco's office has posted an online petition that people can sign to support the legislation. You can find a link to it on the podcast for this show at WXXINews.org. And that was our colleague Beth Adams speaking with Kirby and Quigley's owner, Denise Crone. There is an existing animal cruelty law in New York State called Buster's Law, which makes it a crime to intentionally kill or severely injure an animal with no justifiable purpose. It was passed in 1999 following the 1997 torture killing of a cat that had been set on fire in Schenectady. Critics of the law call for harsher penalties. Between 2005 and 2010, more than half of the defendants on Buster's Law were not convicted or they just faced minor penalties. So Kirby and Quigley's law would expand on Buster's Law, making harming a pet during a crime a felony. And Dr. Gashrai, you were saying earlier that generally speaking, New York State does have some, some pretty pretty good laws uh, in, in this kind of way. What do you think? There's really been a lot of improvements in terms of animal cruelty laws. Mm. They used to all be misdemeanors. And so it's something where several things have been now moved to felonies, which allows law enforcement to have more ability to pursue these things. So I think that's been very helpful. And I think that the, the, the current attorney general in the office has been quite good in terms of it. We get routine legislative updates, and I'm usually impressed with some of the things that they've done. So Beth was saying in, in talking to Denise Krohn, you know, there's no question to her that was losing a family member. I mean, you work with people all the time. What you are caring for is yeah. their family, aren't you? Yes. And I think that, you know, you'll have well-meaning friends sometimes when we lose a pet and they'll say, well, it was just a dog or just a cat. And, you know, people don't understand that if they have an animal. And I always tell people, look, that person has never had the relationship you've had. And they really are family members. And for some of our older clients where, you know, their kids have been gone for a while and they might not be around, these are as much family members as anybody else. And the loss of a pet can be just devastating. All right, let me grab a couple of phone calls. Joel in Rochester on this subject. Go ahead, Joel. Hey, I just wanted to mention some other efforts that have been stalled. It's kind of it's amazing that in New York State, where we created the first uh, animal rights organization, the uh, New York State SPCA in 1866, that we really haven't passed that many new legislations in the last, or that much new legislation for on, on behalf of animals in the last so many years. And so things like an animal abuser registry could apply to this case that was just mentioned. Efforts to try to outlaw junkyard dogs would be great. Uh, there's an effort to try to stop people from uh, basically devocalizing uh, their dogs and cats. Um, we could strengthen animal abuse laws and take them out of the property law that dogs are, and cats are considered, the eggs and egg and milk, uh, markets law. Um, there's an effort to try and get people just simply to have the state's Department of Transportation notify people publicly when they find dead cats and, and dogs on the highway. Um, you know, reckless endangerment laws could be strengthened, uh, uh, Good Samaritan laws could be strengthened, 
and yet there's really been no effort to move some of these laws that should be on the books along. So, you know, this to me is a no-brainer. It would, I would want to encourage everyone to contact their legislators and encourage them to, to pass these types of legislation, legislative, legislative efforts. Well, thank you, Joel. A lot obviously going on there. Um, is there a centralized point for people to kind of read or check out? I mean, one of the organizations, yeah. it's a national organization, but has a New York State uh, group. It's called the League of Humane Voters. And there's a local chapter of that group called the League of Humane Vo- Voters of Rochester. So it's LOVER is the acronym. And, um, you know, it would be great to get more people involved and you know, you don't have to be an animal rights activist to, to do this work. As that woman said, you know, most people really care deeply about animals. And, you know, this program is a testament to that. So we just need more people trying to work on behalf of animals. Um, well, thank you, Joel. Th- thanks for, for sort of expanding that conversation because, you know, Bruno and Kirby's law is one thing, but as Joel says, there's a lot on the books. Uh, Dr. Geshrein, what do you think? No, I agree. I think that there are a lot of different areas where it could be expanded because, as the caller had stated, uh, dogs and cats are, and pets are considered property. And there's reasons for that, obviously, and you can argue either way. But I think that it is something where, in terms of when one of them is harmed, I think that there should be certainly good penalties for it because they feel pain. There's no denying that they feel pain or that they feel emotion and mm-hmm. things like that. So I definitely think there's a lot of things in the call that brought up some of the big ones. All right, let me sneak in a phone call on a totally different subject. We'll go out to Gaines, Orleans County. This is Marilyn. Go ahead, Marilyn. Hi, Evan. Hi, Dr. Gershai. Hi. Um, hate to change the topic. That's okay. It is so important, but I do have a question. Um, you've done a couple of uh, ultrasounds for me, so okay. I know I'm very impressed, and I know that uh, you know what you're talking about. I've got a question about anal sacs. Yes. Um, my dog, he's six years old, and uh, about four months ago, he had to have his first expression. Okay. And a couple weeks ago, he had to have him expressed again, and he's starting the same licking behavior again. And I'm just wondering what causes the... Uh, anal sex to get clogged up and is there anything an owner can do as regards to diet or anything like that? Well, with anal sacs, uh, they are actually two little scent glands that are located near the anus, of course, and they're similar to what skunks have, except dogs can't squirt them like skunks can. And so they are scent glands, and that's why dogs like to sniff each other's butts. Uh, when they get packed, it's usually smaller dogs because the ducts are fairly narrow, and they can sometimes get a gritty material in there that plugs them up. So routine expression, I think, is an important part of it. You can certainly try adding some fiber to the diet to see if you can get a firmer bowel movement, because that will sometimes allow them to be expressed normally. They're supposed to be emptied when they have a bowel movement. So if your dog doesn't have a nice, hard bowel movement, canned pumpkin works well. You can sometimes give them a little Metamucil. Check with your vet, and they can make some recommendations. Um, The second thing is keeping the dogs thin. We see a lot of dogs, if they get chubby, um, the fat that is in that area prevents the anal sac from being expressed properly when they have a bowel movement. So I think a lot of times anal gland problems are better when they are actually thinner dogs. And if they really are a problem, I mean, routine expression is something we do a lot on these guys. If they become a problem, they can be removed. It's just that it's not a, not a 
gen- it's a surgery that you know uncomfortable obviously for them it's and, uncomfortable you know, to talk exactly, about exactly exactly so <laughs> i imagine the surgery yeah, would be exactly, uncomfortable exactly. Uh, by the way before we get our last break in here we are trying to lighten things up before the end of the hour and i do want to let you know dr gashrai that on twitter one of our listeners says love dr g long-term patient he's got to update that office it looks like that 70 show <laughs> yeah no actually believe it or not well we'll make the it, it, within the next year there's actually going to be a lot of major things done with it yep okay <laughs> so. well let's get our our, our last Last break here, and we're going to come back here and talk to a local dog owner who just returned to Rochester from the biggest competition, the Westminster Kennel Club show. That is next on Unleashed. Coming up in our second hour, we're talking about heart health. A couple of doctors in studio answering your questions, and this is a great opportunity for you to get answers to anything you need to know or want to know about heart health maybe surgical procedures, questions you might have about a family member who might be struggling. This affects millions of us. Your questions answered about heart health next hour. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR FM and HD Rochester, WEOS FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge, naturalpetfoodscompany.com. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. Dr. Gashrai and I were talking earlier this hour about whether dogs really like to be in dog shows. And I said, you know, there's probably a reason there's a Westminster dog show and not a cat show. Making cats do this would be probably torturous, right? Yes, it then would I, be They would not be down with it. Yep. But, but in general, you think dogs, it's almost like giving them a task. They like to do it, huh? Yeah, I think a lot of dogs do. I mean, you see just the look on their face and just they, they have such joy in it when they do it. So, And plus, these dogs are treated very well and obviously taken well care taken care of and also they get a lot of time spent with them and dogs like to have a a mission and a job to do so well if you watch the westminster kennel club all breed dog show in new york city this week you may have seen a corgi by the name of derby in the obedience competition derby and his owner leanne Caposi, are from wayne county this is their first time competing in the event now they didn't get to the finals but just being there was a remarkable achievement and we're glad to have leanne here how are you I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Was it a good experience? It was one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. It was bigger than my imagination could have even stretched. Well, before we even, I want to know even how you ended up there. I also want to introduce your ring assistant, Beth Cooper. Welcome to you, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. What is a ring assistant, by the way? A ring assistant, well... In this, if you make it through the first part of the competition, there was a what was called a freestyle competition, and uh, you could have all kinds of props. So, I was the prop assistant, setting up props and taking them away. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and and for you, is this first time there? This was my first time at a dog show ever. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> and you know, for those of us who've seen the movie Best in Show, I have this idea of what it would be like. <laughs> Leanne, you're saying no. No? No. Get right near that yeah, microphone. Yeah, so this, this derby competed in obedience, okay, which is very different from the confirmation ring. In obedience, the, ju- the dog has to heal in position with the handler. They have to do such things as scent discrimination, 
and directed retrieve and directed jumping and uh, retrieval over jumps. There's, there's a lot of different exercises that are involved. And there's a series of levels in, in obedience. It starts with the novice level, which is primarily healing patterns and, and recalls across the ring. And then they go into the open division where they have to perform over jumps and retrieve um, these art, they're, they're dumbbells, they're like plastic or wooden dumbbells. And from there, they move on to the utility level where they have to do sit, scent discrimination and directed retrieves, and it's much more complex. And at the Westminster combination, or competition, the, it was a combination of the open and utility exercises that the dogs had to do. And there were all obedience trial champions that competed there. An obedience trial champion is a dog that has won a certain number of classes and earned enough points to earn that title. And it's a very prestigious title, and it's very difficult to, to obtain. And at Westminster, they invite the top dogs based on Och points. So at on, the competition... On, on what point? Och points, obedience trial champion points. Okay. So the ones that have the highest number of points, those are the dogs that get invited. So you're in the ring, you're competing with dogs that are pretty high up there. Now, let me just back up a little bit here to make sure I understand how we got here. Derby is eight years old, Pembroke Welsh Corgi, is that right? Yes. You got him at 10 weeks old. Yes. He began competing in the show ring at the age of two. Yes. And he won his obedience trial championship when he was three. Yes. So... You know, at what point, how do you know what makes a, a dog a good competitor? Can you train any dog to be kind of a good competitor? Or, uh, well, there are certain breeds that excel at okay. the sport. Um, Border Collies, Golden Retrievers, Labrador Retrievers, they are German Shepherds and Shelties. They're very up there, very intelligent, good work ethic. And Corgis are very smart too, right? Corgis are very smart, but they oftentimes have an agenda of their own. They're very... Stubborn. Oh, yeah, they could be stuck. <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah, true, Dr. Gershry? They're very yeah. inventive and mm -hmm. very creative, and they have their own little uh, nuances of thinking, well, I think I have a better way of doing this. <laughs> so they, they can be a little bit more challenging. Uh, to put it in perspective, there are 20-some Och Corgis in the history of the breed, and there are hundreds and hundreds in, with the Golden Retrievers and the Border Collies. So uh, not not an easy breed. All right. So you had a chance to, did I read this right, that you had a chance to go last year and you did, did. not? Yeah. Why, no. why would you not go last year? What happened? Um, I, I'm not sure why I didn't go. I think I was afraid of the, of the logistics. I'm very much a country girl and I was a little intimidated by the big city. And I wasn't sure what it was going to going to be like. So I, I wanted to see how everybody else enjoyed it or how hard it was last year. So then I could make a decision this year. And Beth Cooper, she pretty much forced my hand to go. She, last year, she said, you're going next year. And she I was very upset because she, she didn't tell me until she had refused. And Beth, how many dog owners and trainers have a chance to do this, right? Exactly. Just to say that you went to Westminster, that you were invited and went. You have to. You have to. I actually think I actually think it's 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 pretty bold though to say yeah I got invited we didn't go, you know, <laughs> we don't need Westminster exactly. No, so, so for really for you though it was it was about intimidation about the atmosphere and so 
it sounds like your fears were not confirmed or, 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 or that it sounded like it was a good experience. It was a very good experience. People very were welcoming? Oh, yes. Yes. Saw a lot of my friends there that I compete with mm-hmm. around the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was great to see them again. And the judge, Lynn Eggers, what a wonderful woman. Very, very good. Job. Made everybody feel comfortable when you when you entered the ring. And I was I was nervous, I will admit, because Derby was the first dog in the ring. And that happens a lot with him because his jump height is only eight inches because of his little stubby legs. And <laughs> so he was first in the ring, so I hadn't had the opportunity to see any any of the other teams work. So it was a little little unnerving. Okay. So, and, and how did Derby do? Derby exceeded all my expectations because I could tell by his body behavior the day before when we set up and that morning of competition that he was nervous. And around the ring, there were rows of chairs only a foot away from the ring, full of people, bleachers full of people, lots of rings nearby where the breed dogs were shown. So there was clapping and cheering. And behind the bleachers, there were um, dog grooming areas for the breed dogs. And it was so noisy. I was, I was, where how's, how's Derby going to hold up? Because I don't get to train him in places that are very noisy or there's a lot of distractions. So I was uncertain how he would do, even though in, in a normal competition, he has, he's done quite well. And he, he far surpassed my expectations of him. We did not advance to the next round. There was an exercise where I had to signal him with my hand to sit from a down position. And right at that split second, there was an outbreak of barking behind the bleachers, and he just froze. Rigged. Yeah. So that I had to give him a second command, which is considered an NQ, which is non-qualifying. So he didn't get to go into the next round, which was sad because... That's what I was looking forward to the most. That was the freestyle portion of it. And that's the part where Beth would have come in. So what would you have done then, Beth? Had he gone on, what would your what would it have been like? What would it have been like? Yeah. Um, well, they give you a, a two minutes to set up your ring. And we had a lot of props. So we would have set up props that um, Leanne and Derby would have gone around. They were cute little. I won't, I won't divulge because next year she's going to try again. Um, and there were some other props for the scenting. Um, we had a sign. We had all kinds of things. So, so I had to time when I would set up a prop or take away a prop, one, not to be in front of the judge, so obscuring the judge's um, line of sight, and then um, also not distracting Derby. Yeah. So it, it had to flow because it had to be under five minutes. If the routine went over five minutes, there would be point deductions. Okay, so you're going to do it again next year? I'd like to, yes. I guess. You know, as long as Derby's, he's eight, um, as long as he's healthy and happy and working well, I'd like to go back. Now, we we all know that Derby is invincible and will live forever. But for dogs that are (laughs) vincible, uh, let me ask Dr. Gishrai, Corgi's smaller dogs. Smaller dogs can live a little longer, right? And they yeah, can be yeah. spry a little longer. Yes, I think for the most part, smaller dogs tend to live longer. And certain breeds, very long. I mean, Yorksies, Yorkshire Terriers, some of the little, real little guys live a long time. Corgis, I'd say on average, 12 to 14 years is reasonable. 
Yeah, and yep. if, I, if this were a Great Dane, I'd be going, well, eight's mm-hmm. getting up there. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but yeah. Corgi's uh, so much more in what I would consider like a cat frame. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. nine years old, he'll be next year, and yeah. you think he'll be spry enough to do it? Yeah, doctor, do I have your promise that we'll go back <laughs> next year? He, he should. I, nine Thank years you. old, most Corgis Thank are still you. really right. active. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. So, and and how did he handle the rest of the stress of it? N- not just the competing part, but you know, it's it's more noise. There's more dogs around. How did he do? Well, Derby got to ride around in a little red wagon because there were, the crowd was so dense, and he's so little that I didn't want him to get lost in the shuffle. So we put him in a little red wagon and and wheeled him around, and he we couldn't get two feet without stopping because people wanted to take their picture with him because he was so cute in his little red wagon. In his red wagon. This is so a, he liked that. Have liked you seen attention. the movie Best in Show? Yes. Were you in it? No. <laughs> I don't do that kind of competition. Okay, I just want to make sure. Uh, so, so he enjoyed it, though. That's great. He had a good experience. I, I think so. That's really great. No, that, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And so, uh, Beth, are you going to go next year if they, if they go back? If Leanne wants me back, I'll be there for her. Yep, she's sure. my Westminster buddy for sure. Last question then for, for both of you. How... And it sounds like it was really cordial, uh, but is it competitive? I mean, is it you were worried about the intimidation? Did it ever feel you know like no. you were getting side eyed by these other no. dogs? No, well, I was worried about the intimidation from the environment and the pressure that I would be putting on myself. And as far as the competitors, I, I can't speak for the breed people so much because I, I I don't do that. But in the obedience world, and there at Westminster. We all supported each other, That's good. and and That's the, really good. those of us that didn't make it to the second round were very, you know, supportive of those who did, and uh, it, and, it was good. And I think obedience too is much more objective, whereas when you get into shows, a yeah. lot more of it is very subjective, and which mm, judge right. likes what. So this is yeah. it, uh, it's nice to watch obedience. Yeah, I would have felt yeah. like Fred Willard not figuring yeah. out why is the judge doing this, but obedience is it's more A B C checking the boxes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like he did great. Congratulations Thank to you. Thank you very and, much. And, and Beth, you know, you feel the same, that, that it was it was warm, it was friendly, it was receptive? Oh, absolutely. I was, I was really impressed with how supportive they are of each other. It Hopefully was... next year when you go, you won't have a moment where all these dogs are going crazy and, and, oh, and Derby gets distracted. But I you know, know what, though? How much did you learn this year? Next time you go, you'll feel like, you know, a veteran. And that's, that's wonderful. So, again, congratulations. Come back and talk to us next year when you go back. I hope you will. Great. And hopefully you, some Beth. of Rochester can come and see because Leanne's got a great second routine. So All ready to go. Very good. And I just want to, Dr. Geschrei to remind our listeners that, um, that you're not just dogs and cats. You do exotic animals, tree frogs. That was my favorite part of the conversation. <laughs> and all kinds of things at Southtown Veterinary Hospital. And how can people find you, Dr. Geschrei? Uh, we're at 4084 West Henrietta Road, south of Marketplace Mall at 334-1550. 334-1550. We heard from a number of your clients and patients this hour. Not the patients. The dogs didn't call. Uh, their owners. And they just have such great things to say about you. Well, so, thank you so I, I'm really glad you were generous with your time. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. And again, travel well. We'll see you next year with Derby. A lot of fun this hour. Uh, we covered a wide range. Some heavy stuff, but also some fun. And I want to thank our guests. You, you can let us know what you think about Unleashed by tweeting us at the hashtag Unleashed. Or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Show. Facebook Live viewers there. And if you've got a story about your pet or an animal that you know, or maybe an issue that you want us to cover, uh, heroic second chances service, email your idea to unleashed at wxxi.org. All right, coming up next hour at Second Opinion Live, we're talking about heart health with a couple of cardiologists.